In this episode of the McBee Podcast, we listen in on the fourth session of the second day of the 2018 McBee Mentoring Meeting. Dr. Danielle Davidoff gave personal stories on her struggles with work-life balance as a mom to a six-month-old little boy and offers examples on what has worked well. Dr. Sarah McMahon also talked about the struggles and successes of being a working mom in academia. Um, I'm Danielle. We're going to talk today about uh, work-life balance, and we could probably have two full days on this, I feel like. I always, you know, grasp at this kind of stuff to, and try to learn more. Um, but Sarah and I chatted about, you know, what we might want to, how we might want to structure this. And we kind of thought what we would do is each share um, two kind of challenges we faced um, in terms of work-life balance, talked about how they impacted us, how we felt, and then talked about how we managed them. Um, and kind of our lessons learned as a result of those challenges. Um, and my task was to talk about work-life balance not as someone who has it figured out, because I absolutely do not, but just as a new mom on the tenure track. Um, so I was going to talk about two uh, things that have happened recently. The first one was that I had a baby and went out, out on maternity leave. Um, and so most of us are in a profession where maternity leave isn't maternity leave. It's still check your email and um, respond to things and do some work. So has anyone been on any type of leave, like medical leave, maternity leave? I'm on a vacation, whatever, and they still absolutely worked a lot of the time. Yeah, so um, I knew going in that I was gonna have to create some kind of boundary and balance and I had no clue how to do that. Um, I taught, I was supposed to teach the day I had my baby. Um, I was ready to go teach my class and um, I had everything in place for when I went out, but I taught right up until you know I had him. Um, and then I taught right again eight weeks after um, he came. So you know, I figured all that out ahead of time and knew that that was going to happen. Um, but I had a lot of resentment that that's the way it had to be. I wanted like six months. I wanted if it were up to me, I wouldn't go back until probably right now. Um, but I've been back for a while. so um, a lot of the projects that I had to balance and manage were some of that unfunded creep um, that Sarah talked about, where it was not something that was even my own, it was not something that was grant funded, it was something where folks in my department wanted me to be the qualitative consultant or be the IPV expert on something, um, and I was really helping other folks out. So in terms of the projects I was on and I was helping manage, people stayed away. They were like, you go. Don't, we will not be talking to you unless you want to send us baby pictures. And so that was really helpful that I had that support from um, the people I worked closely with, but it was the people that were kind of on the periphery that even though I said, I'm going to be out for this amount of time, I'm trying to you know, get you my stuff so that we're all squared away here, um, it was it were those, those people that continued to kind of ignore my away message of being out of the office. Um, and so... The main thing that that kind of instilled in me was just I didn't even feel anxiety about it or that I really needed to respond to them. It just it made me mad, um, and it made me a little bit resentful. Um, and I think a week after um, I had had my baby, I got an email from a colleague that I had just met. She wanted me to be a qualitative consultant on a grant, and she was like, so I know it's like really bad timing, the worst timing ever, but can I have a letter of support, a statement of work, and a bio sketch from you? Um, and I need it like in a few days. And I hadn't received that email 
um, I received it after a follow-up email from her that said, never mind about all of that. I called our grants office and they said, you don't have to give us any of that right now. They quoted, they said, we are not evil. So she had called the grants office, explained that I had just had a baby, and they were like, you don't need to give, get us any of that. We can do it on the back end. Um, and so thankfully, I, I looked at that email first before her other one that was like, I need all of this stuff. But I'm not sure what I would have done. Hopefully, I would have said no, but I can't say that I would have said no. I, I'm just not sure. Um, so to manage those, you know, those things that were like that unfunded creep, I simply let my away message speak for itself. And if I got repeat emails, I just said, I'm sorry, I'm on maternity leave, and I'll be able to, to address this here or soon when I come back. Um, but of course, there are things that I had to do. I had to submit a grant report. I had to um, turn in my final semester grades for the semester. Um, there were things that just had to be done. Um, and so I really had these kind of must-do tasks. I know I'm going to have to put a day towards this on maternity leave. Although I'm medically off, right? Like it's leave. I shouldn't be having to work at all. Didn't want to work at all. Um, but what I did was I paid myself back for those days. So I kind of kept track every day or hour that I was working while on leave. And for every one of those days, I stayed at home. I relaxed with my baby. I did not request it off in my calendar. And I checked up on my emails. And that was my kind of work. So I, I tried to kind of deal with that resentment in that way um, so that it really didn't, you know, creep up too much. Um, and then at the end of the day, I just reminded myself that in academia and being on the tenure track, I'm really lucky that things are so flexible. Um, man, we were talking yesterday how being at home with a baby, I've actually kind of gotten more work done than if I'm in my office with people coming and trying to have social hour and talk to me and things like that. So I can't imagine being in a profession where I had to go back two weeks later, like my mom did, you know. She went back two weeks after having a baby, had no maternity leave. And if I wanted to, I could have had more even paid leave. And so really at the end of the day, I was really grateful for that. So I just tried to like hang on to that gratitude of, of being in a really flexible position where I, I didn't have to take a pay cut at all. I was able to be off for as long as I was and still be paid for it. So that was kind of like my first, um, my first experience. And then my second one just happened um, very, very recently. So my, my son is six months old. Our child care is provided by my mother-in-law, um, who isn't in the greatest health. And so it was kind of only a matter of time before she had a, a health emergency that would make us um, you know, have to figure out what are we going to do. And so the last few weeks for me have been a major just dumpster fire of life. Um, so she became really ill. Um, and because of her health issues, she was in the hospital on a ventilator. Um, it was very touch and go for a while. Um, and at first we just thought, oh, it's her annual check into the hospital. You know, she'll be fine. Um, but it ended up taking a really serious turn right at the time that my son then got the same illness. Um, and so I had a son that was sick. I had a mother-in-law that was not doing very well at all. Like, we were pretty scared for a while. Um, the doctors and nurses had not really, like their response was, we have seen people come back from this. So it wasn't like, we, we were like, oh, so we need to be really worried and prepared here. Um, had no backup childcare, had not even thought of what that was gonna be. Um, and I had a grant due in one week. Um, that I was going to write 90% of and, and had began and started. So um, 
through all of these health issues, and then my husband got sick, and of course I got sick all at the same time, um, through all of these health issues, my anxiety wasn't on like my family's health, it was on work. And that really bothered me that, okay, all of this is happening and I'm worried about it, but what about this grant? Like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Um, and so I don't know about any of you, but I can stay in my own head for a really long time, like rabbit hole spiraling for a while before I take any action. And I said, I don't have time to rabbit hole about this. I have to talk this out. And so I called, called a colleague and said, you know, here's the situation. I'm, my husband stayed home all week last week. He can't stay home again. I have to stay home this week. But I have a grant due that I'm writing most of. Um, and she was like, well, you can't do it. You can't submit the grant. I was like, but I have to. She's like, no, you can't. It's not feasible. In no world is it feasible. Even if it were done, you have to submit the button. You have to upload everything. Can you do that? And I was like, no, I can't do it. Um, and so actually talking it out to another person instead of staying in my head really, really helped me to be like, okay, it can't be done. I have, I think, a reasonable excuse as to why it can't be done. Um, and then I had to communicate it to my team and what I tend to do is leave the door open a little bit, like, this is going on, but if you really want me to, I can try. And I decided that that was not a good idea. So I had to, and my friend helped me, and we sat down um, and wrote this email to my team to, to explain everything that was going on um, and to say unequivocally, unequivocally, this cannot be done. Um, the answer is the grant will not be going in. Maybe they can bump us to the next cycle because we had an LOI that was accepted. So they wanted more. It wasn't just, a, oh, we won't put that in. They wanted to see the full proposal. Um, and so to let that go felt really, really bad. Um, and then, of course, I was beating myself up. Why didn't you have the grant on a week before it was due? And then I had to say, okay, no one ever has that. So <laughs> don't, you know, let that one go. So it was just a lot of like, but you didn't do this. And then, oh, but really, is every person in your family being sick a real excuse? Yes, it is. It's an actual excuse. Um, so a lot of that back and forth. So I had to let the people around me give me a reality check. And that really, really helped. And usually I would take a week to ruminate on something. And I, it took me about three hours from I don't think this can be done to this is not getting done, which I was really happy about and proud of myself for because I, I I could really um, stay in that, that middle ground for a long time. Um, and so really what I did was I talked to my team. Um, the senior mentor on the project helped me craft this gorgeous letter to our um, technical assistance advisors and the grant reviewers um, that explained everything that was going on. She talked about how me not being able to help out with this project would be a detriment to it um, being submitted it wouldn't be competitive if I couldn't, and that they didn't even want to move forward because it, I would feel pressure to contribute when I really needed to focus on my family. So she crafted it in such a beautiful way. We submitted it with a letter of support um, from our survivor, intimate partner violence survivors that we're working with to say they're really excited to do this. They want to continue with this project. We are really committed to this project, but can you just move us to the next cycle? Don't make us submit another letter of intent. Can you just let us submit a full proposal in June? And they were like, absolutely, do that. And so the best possible thing happened. I got some more time you know, with my family to kind of take a breath. 
didn't really matter that we couldn't submit. It was more just in my own head that was where all of the negative stuff and the anxiety was coming. Um, so by talking to other people, it really helped both in my personal life um, and on the research team. And just what I have always, always found, and even working with these um, McBee folks in my black hive, when I have just said, here's what's going on with me personally, it's going to impact our professional work together. They've been like, that's fine. Of course it is. Don't worry about it. What can we do to help? That's usually the response from people that I get. There are people out there that don't get it and that will not provide a supportive response. And that happens. Um, but most of the time when I've reached out and just been honest, people have been more than supportive and understanding and helpful. So. Um, my advice is always kind of reach out to those people around you. Some people are very guarded about their personal lives, don't like to share with people that they work with and professionally, and I totally respect that, but I'm kind of an, an oversharer in that way, and it's never really been at a detriment. So um, I just wanted to kind of end with um, saying that for me, thinking of work-life balance mottos really, really helps. When I was writing my dissertation, my um, mentor would write back and be like, all right, Danielle, perfection is the enemy of good here. Just submit the thing. And I was like, what? You don't want this to be perfect? I'm making it perfect for you. This is for you. And to hear that he didn't want it to be perfect, he just wanted me to get it out the door and stop this nonsense, I was, it changed everything. And I like put it on a sticky note in my office and was like, all right. Don't make it perfect, just get it out the door. So that's been a really helpful motto, motto for me. And also just asking myself, in five hours will this matter? In five days will this matter? In five months and then in five years? And then if it won't matter in five months, I have a good, an easier time of letting it go. So um, maybe in our discussion here in a few minutes, if we can talk about, if you can throw at me mottos that you use to balance, I would love that because that's something that quick and easy that kind of helps me get out of those rabbit holes that I can spiral down. So, and I'll turn it over to Sarah now. Thank you for all those really great suggestions and for sharing your stories. Um, I grouped sort of my, my talk into two different areas and one is um, I'm older, so I have a, a more of a compilation of, of different life events that have happened and I'm sure many of you in the room have had different life experiences that sort of propel you into figuring out what this work-life balance means. Um, over the years, I've had a number of family issues. So I had, I had two kids. Um, I had to take care of a very um, ill parent. And I had my own very serious health issue, which required hospitalization for a few months. Um, I'm fine now. Um, but in each of those situations, you know, I, and they all come, right? Is there ever a good time? Um, not really. You know, um, I had my children when I was working on my dissertation. Um, I was taking care of my ill parent on my first year on the tenure track. Um, and uh, my own illness came up when I was going up for my third year review. <clears throat> so, but you know, again, when is there ever really a good time? Um, so in each of those situations, I realized I needed to make changes to my work schedule. Um, and they were really hard for me to ask for, to be completely honest. So um, when, my, when my mother was ill and I was wanting to spend time, um, I remember being like driving down to work because I had uh, a really big event that day and was checking in with her and she wasn't having a great day. And I was like, you know what? 
I'm just going to turn around and go and spend time. And so um, I, you know, it was my first year on the tenure track. I needed to make certain impressions, and I was nervous about that, admittedly. But I will never regret, you know, making those kinds of decisions. Um, I needed to miss graduation that year and a whole bunch of other things, and I ended up spending time and moving into my parents' house and had to ask for that time, and it was really difficult to do. I'm also a private person, so sharing that with my dean, who I didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing that with, was definitely um, a challenge, and, but I will never regret that. You know, the work got done. Did anyone really care that I wasn't at graduation? No. Um, now that I've gone to so many graduations, I wish I had reasons that I could maybe <laughs> skip them sometimes, because they're often very long. Um, I, another uh, memory that pops into my mind was uh, when I was first starting out and my daughter was in kindergarten and there was a mother's tea and it was the same day as like this huge colloquium that my center was organizing and it was like an agonizing decision about what I should do. Um, but of course I ended up at the tea um, and uh, again, you know, was very really sad to miss out on the colloquium, but guess what, there was another one. So, um, and there wasn't another kindergarten mother's tea. So, uh, you know, all of this to say that I'm glad that I made those decisions. They sometimes are really, really hard to make, but um, I think we want to be able to look back on them and, and make sure that we did the things that were right for us and, and for our own uh, well-being. And during all of these different challenges, including my own illness, I had the option to just, you know, stop working, and I realized my personality was that I didn't want to stop working. Um, I wanted to stay engaged. Um, during my illness, I was managing a large federal RO1 grant at the time, and I wanted to stay involved in it. And so um, it was a good distraction, right, for when you have difficult things going on, but I needed it to change. And so being able to have those conversations um, with the funders, with my dean, with other people, and saying, I want to stay involved, um, and finding out creative ways to do that. And we were able to work things out, so I was able to do that. So again, just encouraging that communication and, and sort of putting that, that out there, um, letting people know what's going on to the extent that you feel comfortable, um, and then seeing what kinds of creative alternatives there are. And there were lots of ways that we were able to do things with these things called computers and telecommuting. There are actually ways that, that we could you know, make it all work. Um, but sort of the larger issue, I think, that I wanted to bring up, because we all have issues that come up in our lives that are challenging, but beyond sort of those reactive situations, I think, in thinking about work-life balance, I've perceived, and I, I've talked with others to make sure it isn't just me, but there seems to be this sort of culture of busyness that's expected in academia. It's like almost a badge if you're like, well, I was working, you know, all weekend and up all night and didn't get any sleep. And the other person's like, well, you know, I, I, I had to prop my eyelids open so that I could keep going. <laughs> and so there's sort of this competition and I've found myself falling into that. I don't know if it's because the academy like attracts certain type A personalities who are overachievers and want perfection. Maybe, does anyone here relate to that? Um, so there's some of that, but there's just this sort of general culture and the whole idea of tenure, which I really appreciated uh, Amy's comments before about trying to rethink that. But there is somewhat of like a hazing aspect to it at times. And even if it's not direct, it's about this 
pressure that you're always supposed to be busy, you're always supposed to be producing. And so that really does not help with our idea of a work-life balance. Um, and so how do we sort of subvert that? Um, and how do we try to challenge the expectation that we're always supposed to be busy? And why isn't it great to brag that like you spent the whole weekend doing nothing or hanging out with your family or whatever it is um, in these sort of healthy ways? So I think that finding ways to subvert it and for all of us who are out there, right, to be able to model that for the people that we work with, um, whether it's encouraging them to be taking those breaks. Um, just before um, I got a message from people in my office that they were organizing, uh, it's a beautiful day apparently in New Brunswick, so they're gonna be going for a walk at 12.30. So just little things like that to encourage you know, some health and, and balance. Um, I also found that it's really good to have colleagues around you who have a similar mindset. So when I was going up for tenure, um, I had had my health experience and another um, colleague of mine had had also a really serious illness that had taken her out for a number of months. She had fallen down a flight of stairs and she had broken her wrists and her spine. So, you know, for our line of work, not being able to use your wrists uh, for a certain amount of time is really frustrating. But she was always very peaceful about her experience and when I would check in with her, she was just one of those people who was very grounded. And so I was really lucky to have her as someone that we were going up for tenure together. And we would meet um, for like a year, or a year and a half going up. And our whole idea wasn't like, all right, so what do we have to do? We would get to that, but we always said, all right, we have to remind each other about having perspective on things, that we're just happy that we're here and we're able to be doing this. Um, we've done our good work and we're gonna put it out there and it's gonna be what it's gonna be. Um, so I think some of it is a mindset too about not buying into the craziness um, and not wanting to buy into the fact that there has to be this pressure to always be feeling crazed. Um, I haven't always achieved that, just trust me, ask my family. Um, but I think if we can try to make that decision and be around others who can remind us of it, uh, I found that really helpful. I found the tenure process to be quite smooth. I mean, I had done what I could, right? So when it came down to it, you just needed to, to put it out there. Um, and having someone else going through that process who also wasn't like crazy getting everything ready for it, but just was able to remind me, you know, we, it, there are larger things out there and sort of what's the worst thing that could happen? Um, you know, eventually things will work out regardless. Um, I guess one of my last things too is just that this is a continuous challenge. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that the word balance is really necessarily what any of us ever achieves. It's kind of like a lopsided thing. Um, so just continuing, I think, to have a focus on this. And uh, you know, I appreciate that this topic was even included uh, here today. So I think whatever we can do to bring this back to the different places we work, to have conversations about it and, and find out what strategies are out there can be useful. Um, so with that, I think we were really interested in hearing other people's comments, ideas, and suggestions that we can share with one another. I, and I quickly wanted to just add on to what you said about the culture of busyness. Sometimes, and like we've included work-life balance here today, and I know at my university there is a center that is all about making sure that the parental leave um, guidelines and policies and procedures are fair and transparent. And I feel like maybe academia, maybe society in general is getting a little bit better at this 
However, I find that I am my own worst enemy in allowing myself to take advantage of some of the opportunities for balance. Um, and I almost need permission from someone else to take advantage of things. And one example is um, at my university, it's called Policy 51, extending the tenure clock for a year if you have a life event, like having a child, adopting a child, things like that. And I wavered for half a year about whether or not I was gonna take advantage of that. Oh, but I could go up now and I probably would get it and it might be okay and people around me are supportive that I could go up now but this is a policy put into place to give me more time and balance and time with my kid and I'm literally considering not using it. And so I was trying to find every reason I could not to take advantage of this policy. And at the end of the day, I was just like, it's there, I'm doing it. And I, cause I don't wanna put toge together a tenure packet right now. <laughs> I just don't want to do it right now, so I'm not gonna do it. Um, and that policy helped me. So um, I find that I have a lot of supportive people around me being like, get more balance, get more balance. And I'm like, but I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't get that balance. So um, make yourself do it, I guess. Take advantage of those opportunities if they're there. Uh, I just first wanted to thank you both for sharing your stories with us because they were really inspiring. You're both rock stars. Um, I will never forget my graduate, my PhD advisor, uh, she had horrible work-life balance. She was wonderful, amazing, incredible, but had really bad work-life balance. And I will never forget, she went into labor and then she emailed me edits to my dissertation while she was actually in the hospital giving birth. And I, it really deterred me so much from academia. It took me so long to get over that because I realized that not everybody has to be that way. So I think that it's really useful for us to remember that, because we're not to generalize, but I feel like women are better at considering other people's feelings and then taking care of ourselves. But our grad students are looking to us as role models. And it's not only bad for us if we don't have that balance, it's actually really bad for them and can even potentially deter them from going into academia. So if we don't do it for us, maybe do it for our grad students saying that asked of me a letter of support and all that a week after birth. I'm just now realizing I probably created that monster because I did the same thing. I was in labor and I was like, oh, here is an example letter of support you can use and create for me. I'm in labor, won't be around. And she's like, what? Oh my gosh, you're in labor? Go away. But then a week later, asked stuff of me. So maybe my fault that I did that and created that. I'm a big proponent of reminding myself to have fun. So I'm married to an athletic trainer and she works crazy, crazy hours and we're often just ships passing in the night. But the one thing she does is every couple months she'll plan a secret like trip and she won't tell me where we're going. She'll just tell me like the day before and she'll block it. She has access to my Outlook calendar, which I don't always love, but <laughs> she'll block it in my calendar and she'll say, pack like, you know, workout clothes. And then she'll pick me up and then we'll go somewhere, you know, Chicago or wherever to have fun, um, because otherwise I think we sometimes forget to do that. I, oh, sorry. I'm gonna really quickly say, um, I got to go to Geneva, Switzerland for my sabbatical. And one of the things that I just loved about uh, Europe in general is they take things less seriously in terms of work. So we tried to bring this back to our group. We were like, gonna, first of all, we were gonna do this weekly. We're gonna have a walkabout and then we're gonna have lunch together and we weren't gonna talk about work. 
And that worked actually for about a month or two. Uh, and it was really hard for us not to talk about work. You know, it was really hard. But we need to do that again. Um, I'll, I'm looking right at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did learn a lot about your family in that way. So, but I think it taking not taking things so seriously, and then building in fun is really, really important. Um, Liz, yeah, I was gonna say I, um, I as a sociologist, I know that like the intensive mothering norms are really strong, and um, it's been one thing that's been helpful for me is to allow my spouse to have opportunities to also be a caregiver, and sometimes so that means like recognizing I don't have to be the one that sits at every soccer practice or I don't have to be the one that holds the barf bucket every time like somebody else can have those chances too and um, and I feel like that is helpful for me and also gives him the opportunity to develop good relationships with our kids and things as well so allowing other people to do caregiving um, helps and it doesn't always have to be me who does those things I think has been good for me just to, to Anne's point, one of the things we've instituted this year at my center is we've assigned uh, people to take a month of cheer. <laughs> so we, when it's your month, you can kind of do whatever you want. And people have like, sometimes they'll just like invent the person who had Valentine's Day went all out, but uh, who had February. So she left like little Valentine's notes on everyone's desks. Um, we bring in treats. Sometimes we'll get together. Does anyone play HQ trivia? Yes, so we'll all leave our, our work spots at 3 o'clock and come together. Check it out. It's free. It's fun. It takes like 10 minutes. And we'll all do trivia together. Um, but having someone actually in charge of like organizing this stuff uh, has made it something now that's been sustained for over a year. And it's, it's made a lot of difference for us. I do it at 9 o'clock with my son. Yeah, we do that too. We got to question 12 the other day. And then we left. Um, I just want to thank Sarah for the influence that you've had on me and our hive, I think, in reframing productivity and your work um, drive as a part of who you are and not defining who you are. Um, the story that you told about you know you and your colleague getting sick and making a decision that you were going to spend just as much time committing to the other parts of your life has been really influential for me in thinking about what am I doing for my personal life and what am I doing for my fun and how am I developing my whole self and not just letting work take over me has been really influential in this pre-tenure process. So thanks. You all are awesome too. So. <laughs> also too on the subversive theme, uh, <laughs> since I'm on that right now, just like giving ourselves permission to do something just totally like non-intellectual and like seeming like a waste of time, like taking a whole Saturday and Sunday to watch like every episode of The Office <laughs> and just eat chocolate cake. I mean, I mean, seriously, just not doing any, like doing something completely mindless. The other piece that I'm gonna add is as a woman, I often feel like I have to add all of these fillers at the beginning and the end of the email. Like, I hope you had a nice weekend. You know, and da, 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 and then I'll go into the message, and then I'll be like, and take care, and best wishes, and da, 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 da. and I'm gonna stop doing that because it adds time. It doesn't matter, and I don't need to do it. You could be eating cake instead of. You need to be eating cake and watching The Office, and also to not feel bad about it. 
And not to feel to bad. To eat the cake, it. watch the office, and not feel bad. That's right. That's actually, the office is our current cake at Michigan State, right? So. Yeah. So, and I had surgery about a month ago, and I couldn't really walk for two weeks. And so they bought me a big chocolate cake, and I just, just laid there for two weeks <laughs> with the cake. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> she might have given it. Uh, one, oh, go ahead. one of my colleagues and I developed a motto that we try to remind ourselves of. When I was making the decision to leave Auburn, I was feeling a tremendous amount of guilt for like what I was doing to the department, who I was leaving, all these things. And my colleague said to me that I needed that we, we need to channel our inner white male because we were talking to our colleague we also came in with, and he did not understand my guilt at all. Like he was like, I would not feel guilty at all if I was leaving. Like, go, it's like for the better. And so now whenever we're like feeling guilty about making decisions, we tell each other to channel, channel our inner white male. And it helps. No, I, I was just gonna say that um, in looking at people's careers over time, people who have been successful, I don't think there's a one size fits all in this. Um, because our dean is like way happy working 24-7 and checking every other School of Public Health website to see if ours is up to par with theirs. And th she loves, that's her thing, you know? And so if you said to her, oh, you can't do it, she would like go bonkers. Where other people don't want to have a life like that. So I, I think it's sort of whatever works for you enough to... Make sure you can get through, get promoted, do the job that you want to do, and also have all those other things in life you want to do. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I know when I go on holidays with friends, like we travel together a lot, and they'll get up, and I'll be on my computer working like early, and they're just pouring coffee, and we're all in our pajamas. And they say, what are you doing, working? And I say, yeah. And they say, oh, my God, I don't know how you do it. But like to me, it feels good, because then when I get home, I don't have all that stuff waiting for me. So... I'd rather get up a little bit early, have my coffee, and then go for the walk on the beach. So I think it's sort of what works for you. And it, what works for you is not going to be the same as what works for somebody else. Yeah, I just wanted to piggyback off of what Megan was saying in the intense mothering roles. Um, that is my strategy, is whenever I'm under tons and tons of stress, I will ask myself multiple times a day, would a white man worry about this? And so that means my husband is packing lunches because that just drives me insane because it's an everyday thing and I have to pack my lunch and then there's breakfast and then we have got to do dinner. Like these kids need meals three times a day. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so Harper, she's like, oh, you know, kids make fun of my lunches and stuff and I'm just like, whatever. Like I, that'll build character because <laughs> I can't make pretty little lunches anymore. Or, you know, the, the daycare people will laugh. They're like, well, we can tell Cabus dresses your kids. Don't worry. We, we can tell when you dress them. And so before I was like, oh, my God, they're going to think that we're, like, homeless and poor and that I don't care. And then I was like, do. And so I just started asking myself, would a white man care about this? And the answer is always no. And so then I let it go. But I'm starting to do that with work now. So that's the key. Because I was like, oh, I have to be this perfect person, you know, on the tenure track, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like. No, I have kids on the tenure track, very different than people that don't have kids on the tenure track. And so if I was a white man, 
on the tenure track with kids, would I care about this kind of thing? And usually the answer is no. So I find like that, that channeling the inner white man is a very nice um, tool to have, to not just think of in you know the ether, but to actually ask yourself multiple times a day. Like leftovers that are cold, like just random, like he'll put like random vegetables and stuff that like have nothing, you know, to go with them or he'll just put in, like he keeps accidentally putting nuts in things and the, you know, your the, the allergy thing is big. You can't do any kind of nut thing. Um, but we also have to pack lunches for the two-year-olds daycare, and then they have all these rules about cutting it a certain way. And um, so I've just let it go. And that saves me so much, so much time. But um, their, their lunches are a mess. There are those Holderness family videos, and someone sent me one recently about how by May, you know, you're like done and they show them literally just putting like a slice of cheese in their bag for lunch. So if you're doing more than that, then I would say that's pretty good. So yeah, I had a colleague who was so stressed about her kids and trying to get to work and stuff. She made them shower the night before and get dressed for school and then sleep in their clothes. It's <laughs> a good that idea. That would be me. <laughs> it works, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that's the worst idea I've ever heard. But I'm curious, what does a proper kid's lunch look like? Seriously, what does a proper kid's lunch look like? Go to Pinterest, yeah. There, there, you have to go to Pinterest to really feel good about your lunches. Like you, you can create a butterfly out of a Ziploc bag and a clothespin. I mean, there's all kinds of, of yeah. I, I don't actually go on Pinterest anymore. That's been my work-life balance is that I can't compete. So.